Hello and welcome to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource them towards growth in all areas of life, spiritual, personal and professional. We seek to do this through The Genius Podcast, which you're listening to, the Catholic Women's Masterclass, our online courses, The Genius Academy and our Catholic coaching programs for Catholic women. If you are interested in finding out about any of these initiatives, please visit our website, www.geniusproject.co. You can also find us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily. Over the last few episodes, the Holy Spirit has really been leading and directing this conversation around restoration and how Christ wants to bring about a work of restoration in each of our lives, regardless of our circumstances. He wants to bring us to the fullness of who He has created us to be. So ladies, if any of these conversations have resonated with you and you want to go further, you really need some help to apply what you're hearing to your everyday life, can I invite you to check out our Catholic Coaching Programs for Catholic Women and the Catholic Women's Masterclass. The doors to the Genius Project Catholic Women's Masterclass are now open. So ladies, if you are interested, can I invite you to send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co to find out more information, or if you have any questions, questions, I'm very happy to jump on a call and answer those for you. The masterclass is a four month journey of transformation where you will walk with a number of other Catholic women through eight modules. We do this over four months, so it allows you time to really apply what you're learning and allows the Lord to bring about this deep work of transformation in your life. Every fortnight, we jump on a Zoom group coaching call. You also receive a workbook with practical application tasks so you can really apply what you're learning to your own life. And this year, we're also throwing in a free copy of the Metanoia Catholic Journal, which is a brilliant tool for bringing about restoration and renewal through the transformation of your mind and your thoughts. We have had five cohorts go through the masterclass in the last 12 months, and the fruit and the transformation in these women's lives has been really, really beautiful. So ladies, if you would like to walk alongside a group of Catholic women and myself as your mentor and coach, can I invite you to have a look at the website, www.geniusproject.co on the masterclass page. We would absolutely love for you to join us. So to continue this conversation on restoration and renewal in our lives as Catholic women, Paige Rain is my guest on today's podcast episode. Paige lives in the Washington DC area. She is a mother to four children and she is a Catholic convert who came to her faith late in life through her own brokenness of addiction and recovery. She is the author of two books, Love the House You're In, 40 Ways to Improve Your House and Change Your Life, and her second book, Revived and Renovated. Paige is a designer and a creative. She was the former on-camera designer for HGTV's top-rated show, Hidden Potential, for five seasons, and she now runs her own design consultancy. With all this design experience and a television career, Paige would say that the Catholic Church and her conversion to Catholic faith is what really taught her the true meaning of home and design. In today's episode, we discuss a number of topics. We take a look at this idea of home and how we can cultivate not only our physical environment, but also the interior environment of our own soul. We explore how as Catholic laywomen, we can cultivate a season of mission that is in line with our season of life. 
Paige also shares in depth her struggle with alcohol and food and her journey out of addiction and her recovery process. Ladies, I hope this conversation is a blessing for you. Well, Paige, welcome to the Genius Podcast. It's wonderful to have you joining us. You're based just outside of DC in the Maryland area in the United States, and it's wonderful to have you joining us. Thank you, Karen. I'm delighted to be speaking with you. It's the evening where I am, but um, it's, I think your day's just beginning. So it is just beginning. You. Yes, it's nice. It's, it works out this time time slot, I think, for a lot of the United States ladies. But you and I connected recently, what well, was actually probably last year, I think, on Instagram, because you'd written a book called Revived and Renovated, which we're going to speak about today. But I was wondering before we jump into that, if you'd share a little bit about yourself, where you're based and what you do. Sure. Well, I, uh, I'm a talker, so cut me off when I get too long because my no, story great. is long. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I've been um, a lover of, of beautiful things and house arranging and all, all things related to the house since I can remember. And I'm really, even as a child, I can remember being sort of fascinated by my room and colors and textures and so forth. And so I've been in the design business for a long time. Um, I'm also a conversion to a convert to the Catholic faith. Um, and it's about four years for me. Now, COVID has messed up my time, but it's... Yes. <laughs> Four Easter's ago, I believe four Easter's ago, maybe five. Um, and I also came to know the Lord through my own brokenness. I've been in addiction recovery for 25 years um, through um, multiple 12-step programs. And I just, for me, the book Revived and Renovated brought together these two loves, this love of our work on the home and our work on our, ourselves. And for me, the work on myself has been indispensable, you know, to, to, to function and be in the world and then to flourish and then to be a parent and have relationships and have a full life. Mm. Um, and so, I'm, and I'm delighted to talk about, you know, there really is a, there really are two parts for all of us women, like the desire for, to make our home beautiful and to make it a place for our families and the desire to, to make ourselves, um, connect to God and be the best version that God would have us be. Mm. It's beautiful. I love how you bring together the design and the home, like we have our exterior environments, but obviously we also have the interior environment of our own soul. And so as women, I think we're called in our beautiful feminine genius to live a life of integration where both of those are working together. And I, I think being really intentional about how as women, we can carve out and create beautiful spaces in our soul, but also in our physical environment, because we know that truth, beauty, goodness is what draws us to the Lord. And so we can have a really powerful effect in our homes, our families, and our workplace by the environments that we create. So I really love that intersection. I think the tagline on your book, Revived and Renovated, is the intersection, isn't it? You use that word intersection between faith, family, and everything in between. And yes. I love that because yeah. <laughs> there's well, so much in between. I love that word integrated because the truth is if you are treating your home like it's entirely separate or from where you're going in life, who you really are in your relationship with God, we're missing out on so much. I mean, we're, that is really kind of a skin deep approach to the house. And I think we're, we're just missing out. I mean, the house, I think the process of making a home really comes alive when it's really integrated with our mission um, and our calling and our vocation. So I think that we're just missing out. And I think the culture, frankly, wants to sell us this idea that, it, that surface treatments and buying the latest decorative items, but with, you know, blessed by God only knows who, is, is that's all it is. And, and unfortunately that's all it is, but keep rebuying every year, right? That's right. It's, really like it's, it's a horrible cycle that women never feel confident because there's always something new that is cooler or better um, and what's in style. And so we have this like obsession with like, not, not like being timely, being of the moment when actually the home is just, there's an opportunity to do 
true mission work, as my co-author calls it, kingdom work to um, in our vocation with our families. It's so important. Of course, we don't forget about the physical space because they actually, when they're integrated, the home is beautiful, but it's into, it supports our mission and our calling and our work of living, loving, and serving. And so I, I, I'm passionate that we can ask for more than just um, you know, the home world being just about the surface. It's, it's more than that, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, recently, I interviewed Angela Schneiders, and we were speaking about the Edith Stein quote, how as women, we have that opportunity, our soul to be a shelter for others, where others can come and encounter Christ and know themselves to be loved. And I think it's very good and it's very important to be reoriented in terms of, I guess, the mission. You use that word mission in our home. And sometimes I think as women, we can compare ourselves. I think this is a trap for a lot of women. And there are women at home I know who are mums raising children and that's all their life is at this stage. It's They feel like it's all it is, is just doing the nappies and doing the routine and the rut. But it's actually so much more. I'm wondering if you can speak into that experience for women who are feeling like their lives really don't have a mission at the moment. Because in fact, it doesn't matter where we are, it might be the pots and pans and the dirty nappies, there's still mission in that place. I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit into that for a moment, that experience for women who don't feel like they have a mission. Oh my gosh, I wish I could wrap my arms around these women because I am looking at my 14-year-old son and I can't remember the last time I could lift him up, you know, or, or, or take care of him in that way that we take care of babies. And first of all, it's so fleeting, but it does, and now my mission with him is different, right? My mission, my mission and my work is it looks very different. But I still think the world does, you know, tells us that we need to have more and a different mission and something with a paycheck and something that's external or outside in the world or something that you can post on Instagram and saying, this is what I did. And a lot of the work of a mother is the hidden life. And I feel like that's what the home is for. The home is the word shelter gives me just <laughs> good vibes. You know, I just love that word because it's like, that's what we all want. We're all looking for shelter. And the greatest gift we could give is to give our child um, the sense of security and shelter in moments, like throughout the day, let alone the structure itself. It goes beyond the structure, right? The shelter, being able to shelter someone is, is goes so much deeper than that. And I love Edith Sign is my confirmation sign. Oh, <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I adore her. Um, but I do think, like, as you said, that, that when we're um, thinking about our house, about how we can serve our work, and also accept our season. And that's my co-author, Victoria Dursak was, has a beautiful, she speaks to this in such a beautiful way. She spoke right into my heart because she's in a different season. Her youngest son just graduated from high school. And, you know, we have to reflect our seasonality and respect our seasonality that the baby phase goes, babies don't keep, you know, and it seems, seems lonely and, and hidden for a very long time. Um, but that is a season. And so that's not the season to have the perfectly coiffed house. You know, that's not the season. That's not, that's the season to understand what babies need, which is very different than what an adult looking on Instagram needs. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. So judging our space, you know, I think for, it's really beautiful to, to cater the space to, to what the baby needs, what the toddler needs, what the preschooler needs, you know, even what the teenager needs. And I have a story that, you know, we can talk about at some point, but I have really tried to get inside my kids' heads and understand what they need and fashion the house in a way that supports their different, where they are in their seasons and so forth, while also making it interesting and beautiful and tell our family story. I don't, I'm not talking about just let the kids, you know, get old furniture and forget it and don't worry about it, whether it's beautiful or not, and don't spend any money because they're just going to wreck it anyway. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, meeting them where they are and it, and it will look different and that will make for a home that's much more dynamic too that changes over time um, 
And I think that's so true because the children, I often I've found myself, we have teens, preteens, they define the seasons of your life as a, as a woman. And I think also for women who aren't in that season of motherhood, like there are other things that define your season, whether it's work commitments and other responsibilities. And so there's this balance, isn't there, between looking at what the needs are and responding to those needs and then also responding to our own needs in that particular season. And wondering if you've got some thoughts around how we can nurture ourselves. There's a beautiful saying that says, you know, you cannot give what you do not possess. And so for us to pour into others, whether it's through our vocation in our work or in motherhood, or religious life, like we're called to pour into others. But how can we do that practically in our life if we're really busy? That's a great question because I think of myself as someone who spends a lot of time on self-care. I was actually just thinking about, oh, my goodness. I take, I have a lot of upkeep tasks and I'm not talking about any that happen like I'm not talking about hair, nails, and makeup or, or, or going to like the facial or any of that. I'm not, I mean, I should do more of that, but I'm not talking, I'm talking about really, it's really probably soul care is a better word for it. But, um, I, I see a therapist, I have a 12 step sponsor. I go to 12 step meetings. I go to have a spiritual, uh, I get spiritual guidance. I, I, I have like a group of, of friends that I'm constantly reaching out to as a prayer group. Um, I'm in a Bible study. I mean, I think of like the time that I just put into being able to have that respite. I will say when my babies were younger, there's a lot less time for that. And I, I also like 5.30 in the morning is mom's time. <laughs> there's mom's time. And nobody else, but luckily as I get older, nobody's nobody's even close to waking up at that time. But I, I, I would say that when my kids were younger, it looked different, but I could also, I don't know, like there's times that I could sometimes find a way to connect to God or give myself what I needed when they were awake, when they were toddling around, when they were, you know, taking a nap or so forth. And I think what I've learned, I haven't always been great at this, but it, it's actually saying no to something else when we care for ourselves. So we have to say to notice, we can't do it all. We can't do it all. And, and for me, being that sobriety and abstinence in my recovery programs are, are vital to, to my existence, they have to come in. And so what it means is I don't do other things. And I was just thinking about, I think for me, like, some, you know, in some ways I haven't had all the professional accomplishments I might have wanted, I might have wanted. But I also feel like if I could go back, um, I'm so glad I put the work into myself that I have. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. And, and the work and the time into my children too, you know? And, and so I feel like there's, we cannot do it all. We've got to choose. But I think I, I would love to encourage women to do what's best um, for their connection to God um, and, and their time for themselves. That's again, outside the cliche of getting the nails done, getting the hair done or getting a massage or going out to girlfriends and drinking a glass of wine. Fellowship is so important, so important. Hmm. Um, but true connection is important. And I think sometimes that's even hard to find. So Paige, you've written two books. Could you share a little bit about both of those? And perhaps, I guess, what prompted you to write each of those? Well, I'm so glad you asked me that because I think the story of how books come to be is, is, is interesting. Um, yes. Love the House You're In is my first book. And so I had had a career on HGTV and I, it was fabulous. It was wonderful. It was interesting. I got to be on television. I got to, to work with different families. And it was a, a show called Hidden Potential, which was very popular at the time. And, but I noticed that the format of the show wanted to help people find a house that was perfect for them without them really talking. So, so the producer would say, well, we're going to find a house that's great for this family. And like, here's the facts. They have two kids. They have two dogs. They, they want this or that. But there wasn't ever, there was no meat on the bone in terms of talking to these families. And I realized that like in our culture, like we're obsessed with certain details of home, of the home and real estate. 
-hmm. but the home is much more than that. And so I would ask the producer, I'd like to speak with these people. I want to understand, do they have hobbies? Do they entertain? Do they have local family that sleep or do they have people that come in from out of town? Um, you know, what do they need to care for themselves? Like I, I wanted to talk to them for a long time. And so I, it, it, I had this idea that I wanted to re-encourage people to ask themselves these questions about the home before they dive into a renovation, before they even dive into making their home, or if they're really stuck, rather than looking outwardly, because at the time of the book, all of these resources like Pinterest and Instagram and all these things were everywhere. We're all, we could spend hours looking at other people's homes. And actually, if you take a pause from that and you ask these, answer these questions of who, who are you? Like, where do you come from? What's your heritage? What's the house like where you grew up? I mean, do you want it to, do you want to borrow anything from like that? Or do you want to completely start over? You know, what is your, what have been your most favorite and cherished vacation memories? What are the colors that are in your closet? Um, what are the things that energize you and, and delight you? What are the things that you know um, don't feel good and feel off-putting and so forth? I mean, it's, it's, full, it's a book full of questions and little activities, mm -hmm. but to really get clarity. And then you, you can go back to the marketplace. You can go back to Instagram or all these other resources, but armed with self-knowledge, it's very different. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I hope the book also gives people permission to take that self-knowledge into the marketplace for buying decisions, as opposed to saying, well, which kitchen knobs should I get? Well, which kitchen knobs does my neighbor have? Or which kitchen knobs do, you know, does the, does this person say I should get as opposed to which kitchen knobs, which shape are you drawn to? What material reminds you of a material that was in your grandmother's house that you'd like to replicate? You know, like, mm -hmm. like tying decisions to something that's personal. You can do that with so much more confidence. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the other biggest thing I've learned in my, my, in, in helping people is that there's such a lack of confidence Like women who have done incredible things in other areas of their life are like suffering from like no confidence in just simply buying something for the home. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's because we've been sort of stripped, you know, from, you know, being a home being, first of all, stripped from the mission, number one, but two, it's also stripped from this idea that we can, we can really put ourselves in, that we're invited to put ourselves in, that there's no one that's going to say, oh, no, that's wrong. The design, there's no design police, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that actually it's much more lasting when we purchase and make decisions with our, with ourselves as part of the decision, when there's a personal connection, it's much more lasting. It tells a story in the home and it's mm. not something that fades anywhere nearly as well, as much as something that if you're just doing what's up the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you're sharing that, I, I had a little chuckle to myself. I remember about, um, I think it was eight years ago, we did a renovation on our home here <laughs> and my youngest daughter was about three and a half at the time. And I dragged her around everywhere and I got stuck in exact decision fatigue, exactly what you're talking about over the mm -hmm. color of the doors. And this went on for months. My builder was so patient, so beautiful with me. But I oh, just good. couldn't decide. We had these floor to ceiling doors and windows going in and I couldn't decide whether it should be white or silver or monument. And in the end it was monument, but that was my first gut feeling. But interestingly, I just didn't trust it. I didn't want to get the decision wrong. And I remember pulling up one day with my daughter and she goes, not the window shop. I hate the window shop because <laughs> we'd been there so many times trying to make this decision. But I, sure, I think sure. it does tap into something in the hearts of women and this idea that we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to make mistakes. We're scared to fail, but failing mm -hmm. and, and making mistakes is part of growing, isn't it? Like we, we learn and we progress along this journey of life and really, I look back and the most valuable lessons in my life, and I don't know whether you'd agree, but are the ones 
that I learned in those really difficult moments or the moments that I did fail and I wasn't kicking all of the goals. Would you have had a similar experience? Well, well yes, and, and I do agree. I mean, I think tinkering in the house, taking chances, taking risks, trying things out is, is essential. And I, I think in our modern life, we'd like, we want to get it right the first time. We're probably not going to do that. Um, I think, you know, I, I think at this point, I mean, real estate has become such an expensive proposition and we're so afraid of either making a mistake or making a mistake where we can make, we would make less money if we sell it. Like there's also that, like we're, I, I talk in the book about having the, the resale monkey on your back. Like people are so worried of making a mistake. They're actually worried about making a mistake for the next buyer, you know, which is, that again is we've drifted so far from the mission of our home. And I would also say that we have forgotten that the home is not us. Like I'm not my home. And so if my home is not perfect or not beautiful or not as big or not as nice or not as whatever as I might hope, or not as not any of those things as someone coming in, that's not me. That's I'm not, I'm, I can separate myself from this structure. And I think that's, we've gotten lost with that too. Like it's our greatest asset perhaps, but it's not, um, it's not our whole identity, but again, you know, the identity of the woman in the home as being, you know, like the person who is uh, knitting the family together and teaching and ministering to all the needs of the family and in her vocation, there's such a position of strength, but unfortunately, like it's hard to show that in a, in, in, a, in a magazine, it's hard to show that on Instagram. And so all we've got really are the walls and sort of the spaces sometimes to reflect that. Interesting concept, this whole idea of home and how that is also reflected in our own soul, because our home, our soul is meant to be home for Christ. And so I'm interested, you talk about revived and renovated and this idea of restoring furniture that's, you know, been broken and tossed aside and, and turning it into something beautiful. Now, I know that that analogy obviously comes from your own personal story and your background. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about the interplay, the intersection there between what you're doing with home and, and creating environments that are beautiful and renovations and then your own renovation that happened in your life. Well, sure. I, Victoria Dursak, again, who I mentioned before, is my co-author. And, and she knows that I sometimes like to pick things off the side of the road that someone's throwing out, like a desk or a chair. I mean, I, I've gotten yeah. some great things, I, you know, literally by the side of the road, even a couple weeks ago. And she knows that sometimes I, part of my healing actually is, 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 creative work with the hands. I, I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not like a do-it-yourself or on the level of some people that do it all the time, but to me, it's a healing and, and, and wonderful exercise to work with my hands. And so I do some refinishing and so forth. And she said to me, you know, Paige, don't you think there's something, there's a parallel or there's something so similar in the way that you may pick up a piece of furniture that nobody else wants, that's about to be discarded, that's really weather beaten and so forth. And you lovingly bring it back to life or restore it or even reinvent it. And don't you think that's interesting? Isn't that what the Lord's done with you? And I thought, oh yes, mm. <laughs> that, that is beautiful. And, and, and there's, we could go in so many different directions with that because sometimes I pick something off the, from Goodwill or from our thrift shops here and, and a secondhand shop and it needs to be stripped and it needs to be rebuilt or it, it just, it needs a lot of work. And then sometimes it just needs to be cleaned. Um, and so I think in, in personal restoration for me um, has taken, I've done a lot of deep work and I've done stuff on a daily basis. That's, that's a little bit more like a cleanup job. Um, as I mentioned in, in the beginning, I've been in recovery for 25 years. I had a really debilitating relationship with food um, that became a really debilitating relationship with alcohol that has become a really debilitating relationship with anything I choose to be compulsive with. And I, as I said, I, I attend many 12 step 
not many, let's not exaggerate. <laughs> that keep me sane. Um, but it really is about, you know, my learning to live in the discomfort of daily life, learning to live with being a really feeling and sensitive person. I think a lot about pictures of Lysia and what I've read about her being like so fiery and so emotional. I'm like, oh my God, she gives me hope um, because I believe I was that person as well, but with nowhere to put it. Um, and so a lot of us that are like that sometimes find comfort in uh, substances and behaviors that are really self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And um, part of my journey is number one, learning and coming to know a God that actually cared about that. Um, there was, I've just heard this expression that like, you know, in, in the 12 steps that, you know, we learn that, um, that God cares for us. Like we are in his care when we commit to, to a, to a full personal recovery. And so number one, believing that, and number two, finding out who I am without these behaviors and substances and who I can be, you know, in true freedom and creative work has been a big part of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and self-expression and I, and I love writing and all those things. And, and I get to do them when I'm freed from my addictions and then, and, but also they're a gift of knowing myself with, with all the work that comes in recovery too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, on, and then it's full circle because I get to write about it a little bit now, you know, and with this book. And, and I know that we came up with this concept, you know, literally during lockdown and of COVID and it was just, I, I, I was hearing everybody, so many different people struggling with substances and struggling with addictive behaviors and struggling with brokenness and struggling with anxiety and depression. And to be honest, our culture is happy to say, why don't you have a glass of wine? <laughs> you know, why don't you take some pills from the prescription from, you know, whether it's you know, appropriate or not from somebody else, you know, or we, we, we're, we're happy to self-medicate um, because we always think it's short term, but for some of us, it's not. No. I hate all the wine jokes and women. I, I, I know my kids know they point them out to me like, look, mom, somebody's selling a wine sign. I'm like, oh my God, I get so mad because yeah. we're so flippant about women and wine and all that. And it's just garbage, you know, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, and I think, you know, lockdowns have just escalated that it's everybody's go-to. I am. Um, I don't, I mean, some, I, people some people can handle it. I mean, yeah. But I think nobody should be flippant about it. I mean, no. I, many people can handle it, but nobody should think that it is a drug. Um, and it does change you. And it does. Father Mike Schmidt actually did a beautiful thing about alcohol. He said that, you know, actually in the Bible, in your podcast, like drunkenness, because the Bible talks about drunkenness being a sin, like a lot. And it was like something about, he said something about like, it takes three of the greatest gifts that gives us away. It's our resistance to sin away. It takes our intellect away. And I think there's a, I can't remember the, I can't remember the third thing, but those two are pretty big. So, the, so drunkenness takes those two things away. I mean, these are gifts that we're just throwing away every time we're, we're drunk. I'm not talking about having a glass mm. of wine. Mm. Being chemically altered by yes. a lot of drink. Yeah. Um, I thought, gosh, that was really profound. I don't want to give those gifts away ever again. No. <laughs> them away. And I think there is a tendency for women just to have a glass to take the edge off, which becomes five glasses. And, uh, you know, as we said, lockdowns exacerbated that, but. Yeah. It's also yeah. about being a steward. Like we talk about, there's that scripture that, you know, the Holy Spirit, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And so we need to steward our bodies and our minds well, and alcohol can really cloud that. And I, I think there's an invitation and a conviction for women to, uh, to really have a look at this, to look at the role that alcohol is playing in their life at the moment. You're, you're right. It is, it is like, it's what, what are you, what is causing, what is leading you to want a glass or even the four or five, like what, and why has it become a routine? And 
I don't know. I've watched it in, in different peers and I thought, I just see too much. Like I, I don't just see the wine and, oh, it's funny. But like, what's what's underneath all of that? Um, what's making you so thirsty? <laughs> That's what I always think to myself. Like, because yes. um, again, some people, it's not a problem. They have one, they're done or they this or that, or they have, they had a particularly hard day and they had one, but it's not, but maybe next time they'll know they need to take a bath or they need to call a therapist. They know they're not abusing it, but I think more often than not, people humans like to feel good. They do. And it's when it becomes a bad habit. I think that's what we're talking about. And and that overindulgence. And also you're not realizing the other tools we have as women to find that peace. You know, like the not when we, when we're so used to the chemical peace of mind, that's what they talk about in recovery a lot. Like I don't, I've lost my right to a chemical peace of mind. I now have to find that peace of mind through prayer, meditation, a bath, calling someone like human connection reading nature. I mean, I got I have a list, but it's like, I, I, I wish I could say, well, let's take a pill or the drink, but I can't do that anymore. Yes. Um, yeah. but I think, and then I, and I think more people would do well to look at that. You know, there's other, there's alternatives that we're missing out on, you know, other ways of achieving peace. And those alternatives okay. actually make life. The alternatives are much richer for our life. They enrich yeah. our lives. They enrich our relationships. Whereas mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're overindulging with alcohol. It cheapens all of that. And it, it yeah. brings it to that superficial dysfunctional level where we're not actually encountering deeper relationships, but we're also not encountering what the Lord might like to do in our own souls. And I think that's, that's the most important work. I, I, I love that you put that. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like lost opportunities. And then also it, there's nothing free. So if you feel good when you've had a bad day and you're getting a reprieve from that, the bad day is still there as soon as the alcohol wears off, right? Mm-hmm. Or the tough boss or the troublesome marriage or the, the mom relationship. That's, I mean, that's still there. It hasn't, you know, so I, I yeah, I, I think we're, we're, it's a missed opportunity um, mm-hmm. for connection and oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so much. my dad owned a bar when I was growing up. So I actually saw a lot of alcoholism growing up. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I saw, you know, people drinking at 10 AM and, you know, anyway, so that was just, I've stopped, I've been around alcohol all my life. Um, you know, and I really under, really didn't understand it until I understand my relationship to it. Yes. When did it become a problem for you? How so old have you I, been? I was always, uh, since I could drink, I was a big drinker, but I was a bigger eater. Right. Okay. So at the end of the day, when I, when I had that like deep, deep, deep pain and, and soul sickness, it was always food that I ultimately went to. But when I put the food down and I got what I would call like a food sobriety and put down sugar and put down, I ate, you know, just three meals a day and no junk food and trying to just eat like a sense, like really just not using recreational food or not eating food recreationally. I started to drink a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> I started yeah. to drink a lot more and I, it really unraveled. And I, I realized I get that expression, like just how thirsty I was because I still had that God-sized hole. We didn't talk about that. That's another 12-step concept that is so beautiful. The God-sized hole was still there. I just hadn't figured out that I couldn't put other things in it. Mm. Um, and so some of my worst drinking was in my recovery. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. recovery, but trying to kind of like find another seat on the Titanic, right? Yeah, like, I know. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. And there is that saying, you know, drugs medicate pain. And so, you know, when, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's pornography, whether it's shopping or overindulgence in body image and all of those things are really trying to put some kind of balm on a deeper wound and a deeper pain in our life. 
And so I think there comes a moment where we do come face to face with that, where I know one of the steps in the, the 12 steps is I can't do it anymore. Like, you know, I've reached the end of myself. And I think, you know, I've had many moments in my life where you feel like you reach the end of yourself and you think that you can't go any lower. And then somehow you do and you find yourself lower than what you thought was even possible. But I think in those moments, the Lord does, like St. Teresa of Lisieux talks about, he comes down and he scoops us up to himself. So Paige, can you take us back to a moment where you hit rock bottom and you really came face to face with, I guess, the place that you were in and how you walked out of that place? Well, Karen, that's a tough question. And I, I wish I could say I had one rock bottom, but I actually have had a few and I've had one with food. I've had one with alcohol. I've had, a, I've actually had a few with food, but um, cause recovery is one day at a time. Uh, and I've been in for a long time, but I will tell you one story, uh, from before I came into 12 step programs before they even knew they existed. Um, I was at a point in my life where I just couldn't stop eating. I mean, I ate every chance I could get in secret. And specifically when I, I was very young and I was in a job where I had to travel and this in particular scenario, I, I would sort of eat whenever people weren't around. Um, and this particular scenario I was in a hotel room and I was eating almost the entire contents of the mini bar and whatever else I could have purchased, you know, in the hotel lobby. And there's just something about something comforting about filling myself with food. I can't describe it. It doesn't make any sense. I wasn't really hungry. I wasn't, um, I don't really know why, except there was like a, almost like a primal hunger in me that seemed to be somewhat quieted if I just stuffed, stuffed myself. And um, I was, you know, like a young person with a business suit and I had an impressive university education degree and I was showing up and, you know, I was a junior associate, whatever. And I was traveling with these male colleagues. And at one point they, they knocked on the door of my hotel room to come retrieve me for the next meeting or something. And when they, I did, was not expecting them. <laughs> and <Okay>. so, um, <laughs> When they opened the door, uh, they looked at me and they were like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm ready. But I had had, I had food all over my face and I think on my shirt mm. um, because I was like eating for the night, like, like maybe even pass out um, yeah. full of food. So I was not planning on seeing any other human beings. And mm. when I looked in the mirror and realized and saw what they saw, cause I was so out of it. I didn't mm. realize, I didn't even, I didn't really realize I was so, I, I can, I can actually, rem, I don't remember a lot of like last week, but I remember the profound sense of humiliation that I had revealed mm. this deep, dark secret that I eat like a crazy person when people aren't around, but I had revealed that to these men. It broke my heart. Did it? <laughs> it broke my heart. It broke my heart. And the look on their faces. No, now what I know about men and sons, they're probably like, I didn't even notice. <laughs> but I were like, yeah. <laughs> He's a sloppy eater, but oh well, you know, you know, yeah, whatever. They, they, they didn't know what I thought they knew, but I thought I had revealed everything. You know? yes. And um, well, you'd and so been just, exposed, hadn't you? Like you'd been exposed. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think that it was the Lord doing for me what I, I couldn't do for myself was it, it to bleed out, and that's what happens with addiction. It kind of bleeds out from the secret, secret, secret place that doesn't affect anybody, to sort of affecting other people, your, your intimate family, mm. and also your work. Um, it, it erodes the functionality of life. It makes you less functional. And so actually mm. I had forgotten that I had something else to do that day and I couldn't just like go to bed with food. Mm. Um, and so then, and that was, that kind of blew up. And so then that morning, I, I think I called uh, in the States, we have 411 to get, to get the directory of Overeaters Anonymous, which I had heard about, but I, I really was like, this is, a, I can't believe I'm calling this. This is going to be terrible. I had no idea what it was, but I thought it would, it, clearly this is something that I needed. So you actually did take that step the next day. 
That was the experience. When I got home, I was, tra- I was okay. traveling. I was gonna, but when I got home, I did the thing of calling director. I had to speak with a person, a human being and say, oh, yeah. hello, operator. I'm looking for overears, not us. another humiliation, you know? Yes. And they called yeah. the number and it was like a nine minute voicemail and an address. And I had to oh, golly. The meeting list, but it was like a, this long protracted process each. And then I walked into that room and I was humiliated to be walking in that room and I cried the whole time like a series of humiliations. And I wish I could go back to that girl and say, oh my gosh, like, no, like, um, what you know, would you that- say to her? If you could go back, what would you say to her? Oh my gosh. Like, well, I, w- I wish you could have gone sooner. Although I was very young and very fortunate that I, I was, I was only 22 years old. So I was a very young person. So I can't, I can't complain about that, but I would say that, I mean, you're about to be just so loved and you're about to receive and know love. Like you really haven't known and felt before in your life. And um, it isn't the final destination of giving up or, or just being lumped in with everybody else who's really messed up and living in that existence forever. It was actually just really coming to know um, and a love like you've never known. I, and I wish I could tell her that. <laughs> you said it well. I mean, I, you know, uh, compulsive overeating, compulsive drinking, these are solutions. They're not the problem. They're the solution. We just don't have a better solution yet. Mm. I didn't have the solution of grace. I didn't know I did. I didn't have the solution of um, the beautiful tools of the Catholic Church, all of these incredible uh, resources. Um, I didn't have, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to be quiet. I didn't know how to be with myself. I didn't know how to connect with another human being. I didn't know how to use writing as a tool. I didn't know how to use the wisdom of literature as a tool. I didn't have any of those tools. And so um, my only solution was the momentary comfort of food or the very, the, the momentary and then, you know, and complicated uh, comfort of alcohol. Mm. Um, so anyway, I, I just, it, it's, to me, I have a lot of compassion for anyone who's there, um, but there is so much hope. Um, there is so much hope. And the Lord, I, I always say that the Lord came for the brokenhearted and he, I think he just came for the broken. I really mm-hmm. believe that. Yes, absolutely. And we are all broken. So some people have suffer with addictions. Some people struggle with compulsive behaviors, whether it's that extreme or not. Some people are struggling and spinning in seas of depression, anxiety, and just overwhelm. Like, whatever it is, we are all broken. And and I think it's so easy to forget that when we're particularly social media, we're seeing the Photoshop reels of everybody's lives. And so we fall into that comparison trap. We can't help it because, you know, automatically we are measuring ourselves against what we're seeing in other people's lives. But I think it's very important to remember that every single person has their baggage of brokenness and you Mm -hmm. might not see it and you might not be privy to, to understanding it, but everybody has it. And I think there comes an invitation there where we are really called to offer grace to people and, and to be curious about their story and to come alongside others. And then to be those reservoirs when people do, like you said, you bring that, that secret out from the depth and you start to share it with people to receive that. But I'm interested for women who are struggling with, with whatever it is in their own life, what are some of the steps that they can take right now today to help them walk out of that place? Because I think we can get very stuck. We start to rehearse a script in our mind that will always be like this, that God doesn't care or God's abandoned us or life is difficult or I'll never recover. But there is so much that we can do. And I think sometimes we just need that glimmer of hope, someone to just hold the light ahead of us to say, you actually can do it. Here's a couple of things that you can do today. Do you have any thoughts on some advice for women on how they might walk out of some of those darker places in their life? 
Well, I, I have so many thoughts, but I think my first one is just to say, I, I really believe that if I could find recovery, anybody could, you know, and I told kind of a silly story before, but I was at a place in my life where I've, I've done really, I really hurt myself with food. I really hurt myself with food and I really hurt my body and my health. And I really um, have been reckless with my health with, with food and alcohol. And I really was resistant to anything else. And I never even thought there was any, anything else other than that. And I, I would say that, um, first of all, know that you're not the only one. I don't care what you've done with food or alcohol, I've probably done it. And if I haven't, somebody in my program, you know, somebody in a meeting has, I mean, it, this is not a unique problem. You're not unique. And that's something that a lot of people, you know, with addiction think they're terminally unique. You know, there's nobody like me. Nobody has my same dynamics. That's just not true. Um, and the second thing is the Lord really does want recovery for us. And I actually believe that the Lord, um, came up with the 12 steps or inspired the 12 steps of AA. And as we know, it does come from roots in Christianity, but it has been made, I don't wanna use the word palatable, but it is made um, accessible to people of all faiths or all walks of life. And so there are definitely vestiges of the church in there. We, you know, many meetings say we are father and the, the steps refer to God as he and so forth. But it is also okay if someone doesn't want to completely reject Christianity and never, you know, and, and it is, try, it is, you know, it's, it's made to be a space to respect all those people. The, the point I'm making is that God wants to find us even there, even if for people that will never say his name, I always joke around, it's God who's anonymous in those meetings, <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be anonymous, but it's him, he's willing to, to, to be in a place where his, his son's name will never, never be used. It won't be quote unquote, right praise, but he wants healing for all of us. And um, the thought of, I'll never get better. That's from the evil one. That's not, that's not from God. That's not just, it's not, just not true. Um, and I, I, you know, sister Miriam Heidland, who I know has been your guest and is just a wonderful lamplight. I mean, for me, I mean, she's just, she's a huge part of my conversion story encountering her um, early in my discernment, but um, she referenced the meditation in her book about in uh, the gospel of Mark chapter five. And it's, I mentioned this to anyone Anytime this comes up, because I really believe this is so pertinent, even for our time, it's a story about Jesus healing a, a demoniac. And, and it's, it's such a moving story for addiction, because this is clearly a man who was chained to the side of like a rock wall and, and, and naked. And like, like you can gather that maybe a, they've tried a lot of things and that there's nothing left. You just got to chain this guy because he's such a mess. You know, he's so he's been estranged from the community, estranged from his family. There's nothing else to be done. That's a lot of times how addicts feel we we're, we're distanced from loved ones. We can't be with anybody else. We can't have a real relationship. You're distanced. Um, and then he's, he is healed. Um, and uh, he says, the, the, the man who's healed says to Jesus, well, can I come with you? Can I be your disciple? Can I, can I walk with you? And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back in your community and, 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 and heal others. <laughs> so it's like, it's so 12 steppy. Um, mm. It's so beautiful. And so I, I think going in and just in reading that, those passages, that scripture, it's like, it's such a balm to my soul. It gives me so much hope. I mean, this person is described in such an, like just a desperate and depraved way. Um, and I think a lot of us who might think we're at the end of our rope can relate to that, mm. um, but then relate to the healing and that his healing is really there. And, and he needs you, he needs you full force. I, I came to believe that the Lord wanted me to do work and I couldn't do the work when I was stuffing my face or passed out from alcohol. I, I couldn't do his work. And I believe there's something he wants me to do that yeah. I need to be sober, absent, present and healthy for. And I think that's a knowing that we're not only loved and valued, but needed, you know, needed in this world, in our wholeness and in our feminine genius. And when I, once I kind of 
that took root in me, um, I had another reason to, to be healthy, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Paige, when you spoke about the 12 steps program, and I know that this is obviously used in addiction recovery, but it is something that can translate to the lives of other people. There's a beautiful Bible called the life, I think it's the life recovery Bible. Would that be right? And it look, it works through the 12 steps, but it really makes them applicable to people in their everyday life and how we can grow in relationship with the Lord. And the starting place in the 12 steps and also in this recovery Bible is this utter dependence on God, reaching the end of ourselves and realizing that we can't do it anymore. I'm wondering if you can walk me through, I guess, maybe a couple of the top steps that really stood out for you and ones that can translate to women of all ages and stages who are having a difficult time at the moment. Sure. Well, I think, you know, the, the Bible talks so much about how it, it, it's our strength is found in our weakness. And so step one of, of any, any program, no matter what the substance or behavior, it's um, admitting powerlessness. So I admit I'm, I'm powerless over food, alcohol, porn, you know, spending, um, hurting myself, whatever it is, prescription medication. And I think that's a shock to so many people that we could admit that in powerlessness, but in, in honesty and in defeat is where we find the path to victory. And so I feel like that, I think it could be said that I use that expression all the time. I'm powerless over the fact that <laughs> I get so angry at my teenager, you know, when he does it, I'm powerless over, I'm powerless over the fact that this particular dynamic in my marriage makes me really angry. You know, I'm powerless over these circumstances. Um, and I'm not powerless over getting angry. That's not a good example, but, um, you know, certain circumstances that, that I, that I am powerless over recognizing them and, or even just I'm powerless over the fact that I, I've tried really hard on my own to correct this in myself, but I can't, and I need to bring it to God. I'm powerless. Um, and then step two is came to believe that a, a God could and would restore you to sanity, coming to believe that God cares about even that. And I think some of us, I mean, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of faith, so I, so I don't know this perspective, but I know a lot of women of faith that grew up um, as cradle Catholics and so forth. Like they have a hard time believing that God cares about like little details of our life. But I, I really do believe that your day can really be built, is built on little details. Yeah. Um, how we care for ourselves, what we eat, what we consume in terms of media, how we speak to others, how others speak to us, what we, I mean, just that's how life is built. And God cares about all those details. I, I really believe that. Mm. Um, and I think he also wants to lead us in those ways. And we, we want to believe, well, God doesn't care. So I'll just make my own decisions. <laughs> Actually, God, it does care and is, is, is interested in our, in our, in the best form of ourselves. And so step three is turn my life and my will over to the care of God. So steps one, two, and three can be succinctly reduced to, I can't, God can, I think I'll let God. Yes. And I love that because I, that can be applied to anything. I've used that with my kids a lot. Like, you know, you can't like, this is, this is done. It's over, you know, but God can, and we now have to put it in God's hands. Hmm. Um, and, and people on Instagram might know this, that I, I collect hands. <laughs> I'm like, a, we, I'm weird. I collect hands, like hey. hand sculptures. Oh, do you? <laughs> yes. I have like hand art. I don't know okay. what it is. I just love you like that. I don't know. This is like, was like a force of destruction, but it's also a force of healing. And it's also a force of creativity, like watching other people make things and so forth. So it's, it's weird, but it's my thing. But in God's hands is like my favorite expression because, every, you know, I have to imagine my children and, and myself and the people that I care about or, or the problems of the world, they're in God's hands. Yes. And to me, that's, um, there's a great peace that comes from that, but there's also, I have to be quiet to understand that too, you know, mm. to really, and there's a real stillness to understand that reality. 
Mm, yeah, beautiful. Now you talked about those first three steps. What about step four to 12? The focus at the beginning is that powerlessness, mm-hmm. the abandonment to God's providence, to mm-hmm. his care, just abiding in him. And you mentioned just being still and quiet. I think so often in life we we want these outcomes, but we don't allow the Lord the opportunity to come into the home in our heart and to really mm-hmm. do that work in us. So those first three steps are around abiding in God, surrendering to God. Take us through the next few steps. And so the first three are like, like a little like our initiation sacraments. Like they're very, like you're living in this sort of sense of like maybe for the first time accepting these realities of having God in your life. Like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine are are really hard work. They're really hard work and they're action steps. And the fourth, fourth step is a moral inventory of your life. And so it sounds daunting and horrible, but it's actually getting things on paper about um, the most succinct way is like writing every resentment you have in your life. Because when we put down food, alcohol, porn, spell, when you put that stuff down, you learn why you did it. <laughs> like the feelings and the resentments and the history is right here. It's no longer so distant and pushed down. You kind of you know, I just heard that in a meeting the other day, like, that's when you really learn, like, why you did all those things, because they're really in front and center. And I think it's important to, you know, we do have a channel to God, like, this is how I learned it. And I love this metaphor, we do have a a tube, like a connection to God, but it's filled with a lot of junk, (laughs) you know, and like, and there is like a roto-rooter, we call it in the United States, or like a real process of cleansing, where four is a moral inventory, five is sharing our moral inventory, which is very much like, um, like a, like a layman's sacrament of confession, sharing with another human being, all this ugly stuff that you wrote. Um, six and seven are really learning and extracting from these steps where I can, where I can improve as a human being, like understanding, okay, one of the things that led me into these relationship skirmishes and this repeated behavior, like I have the same resentment with every different person. Maybe there's a, a, what they call a defective character that I can now bring. I have it in my hand. Okay. It's, hypersensitivity to criticism. Okay. Maybe I'm going to take that. I'm going to ask the Lord to remove it because I still am surrendered to him and powerless, but I can ask God to remove it. And so six and seven are are becoming ready to have God take these things from us when God's ready. Right. And when we're, when we're, when we showed him, we're totally ready. Eight, we made a list of all the people we've harmed. So the earlier steps are like, we get to say, well, this is what I'm angry about. And eight, nine, we have to reflect on with a little maturity where we have made missteps. Where have we have hurt others? Um, nine is made direct amends to any person we've harmed. I mean, this is, this is big boy work. Like this is like, scary this big is work. Hard. It, it's hard. It's scary. Um, I, you know, my gosh, a lot of times in my life, the things that those uh, amends were hardest when I did something inappropriate or I hurt someone, but they also hurt me. Mm-hmm. Like, so that was really hard, but it doesn't say if they hurt you, don't worry about it. <laughs> doesn't say that it doesn't say well if they were a jerk you can skip that no actually even the jerks um is is making amends and um and amends doesn't say i'm sorry it's actually amending a relationship and putting out there on your side of the street grace um and a real opportunity to just to just to just send love out into the world many many times it's not it's not returned or people are like okay great thanks goodbye (laughs) yeah i don't but sometimes it's a close relationship that just improves that in your life like there's living amends of people in our life um and then interestingly enough, step 10 is a daily inventory. It's very much like the examine, like the, um, um, the like a daily review of the day, which takes many, many different forms, but we're trying to see, are we still doing the work, you know, in our daily life? Like we've done these, these big steps, but on our daily life, are we, that's something you do no matter how long you've been in program. 
Step 11 is conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation. Um, and I, I, the way I learned it, you know, prayer and meditation as a step, we're encouraged to do it right away, but it's at the end of the steps because it's much easier once we've done that clean out, <laughs> right? Like yes. your, conne your connection and channel to God is so much clearer when we have like done some of the work and the writing and, and released. And some people do, when they do their inventory, they burn it. You know, like we really have like a, a process of, of letting go and then connecting to God. Um, and then 12, it, the 12 step is what I'm doing right now. Um, and I could even like my, have a tear to my eye say that 12 is carrying the message, you know, carrying the message in many, you know, whether it's just um, reminding a child that they don't have to eat over the feelings or whether it's encouraging someone that there is help, love and grace uh, for their problem um, or just telling their story. Um, mm. I learned a long time ago that if anybody ever asked me to tell my story, even if I don't want to, I say yes. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's because uh, what I've been given, I'm, I'm not even remotely worthy of. Um, and I've, I've, I've been given more than I deserve on so many levels. And so to share my story is like the least I can do. Mm. Um, so, and that's thank you. It's such a gift as well. I, I think sometimes we don't realize when we have come through, you know, the difficulties in life and the, the, weathered some of those storms and we have had, you know, God's grace enter our life and he has restored us just what a gift and a powerful witness that can be to other people. Because, you know, there's so many women who are coming after us who are in their own homes, silently suffering. And sometimes just tuning into a podcast is just that little bit of hope where the Holy Spirit can speak through you and through your story and just resonate with their hearts and lead them towards their own restoration and recovery in him. And it's just, it's beautiful. So I just want to really thank you, Paige, because such oh, a powerful Yes. Well, there is, I think that's it. And this is what we have to remember that there is always hope. Like Jesus Christ is hope, his hope, mm -hmm. his peace, his love. He died, came for us and to bring about our restoration and our recovery. And so whether that's through addiction or whether that's through mental health or whether that's just through a struggling marriage or, you know, a pervading sense of hopelessness that we have during these times in the world at the moment, like Jesus is there. He is the God who suffers alongside us. He's the God who walks with us. He's never abandoned us. And I think that's so important. So if there are women listening today who are feeling like they're in that darker place in their life, the Lord is coming to you right now and he wants to, he extends his hand. He wants to draw you to himself and, and to bring about some restoration in your life. And I, I think some of the steps that women can take are, one of the first steps I, I really believe walking with women is to bring some of those things to the light. So whether it's talking with a trusted mentor or a friend or a family member, a counsellor, a therapist, to begin to bring those things, to confess uh, to your spiritual director out into the light. Because I think Satan, the enemy, loves to isolate us. He loves the darkness and he loves to whisper the lies in the darkness and the lies just multiply and grow but Jesus is the light and he's come to overcome that darkness. And so bringing some of those things to the light, no matter how ashamed you might be, and I'm sure you have been in that place of just feeling immense shame, um, but the power that comes and, and how those lies and how those strongholds can be broken by simply bringing something to the light. 
Well, ladies, I hope that that conversation between Paige and I was a blessing and was insightful for you. If you would like to follow her journey, you can find her on Instagram, Paige Rain, R-E-I-N, and on Revived and Renovated. You can also find both of her books on Amazon. If anything in our conversation resonated with you or started to stir something within your spirit, can I encourage you to take that to adoration before the Lord and just lay it before Him and, and to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to shine His light on those areas in your life that need to be brought into the light so that they can be restored. Ladies, God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Our lives are a constant journey of transformation, transformation into the fullness of who He has actually created us to be. So regardless of your brokenness, regardless of your struggle, the Lord wants to, and He will bring a beautiful work of restoration in your life. Most of us would be familiar with the scripture, John 10.10, and this is a scripture that I'd love to leave you with this week. The scripture says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Ladies, it is God's heart that you would live life and live it to the full, the abundant life that Christ spoke about. But to live this abundant life, often we actually need to be active participants in our own life. Sometimes we need some help doing that. We're not meant to do this journey of life alone. As you heard in Paige's story, she is still linked in with her spiritual director, a therapist, her coach, and also her 12 steps program, because she knows that she still needs those people and those mentors walking with her. Ladies, if you find yourself in a place where you are feeling stuck, where you are wanting this transformation, but no matter what you do, you just don't seem to be able to make progress. Can I invite you to check out our Catholic coaching programs for Catholic women? A Catholic coach can walk alongside you and help you to become a student of your interior life and to help you really examine the mindsets and the thinking that holds you back in life. You can find out more about our Catholic coaching programs by visiting www.geniusproject.co. Or if you have any questions, you can send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. It would be my great honor and privilege to walk with you through this process of restoration. If you've been enjoying these podcasts, can I invite you to leave a review on your podcast platform? This helps to promote the work here at The Genius Project and to share the word of The Genius Podcast. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week week and God bless you.